God's Word is written for us today. It is written with us in mind to teach us, to strengthen our faith, to point us to God. And so we have made a practice here at Sweet Communion to preach through God's Word. We have always, well, we have often done series uh, right through uh, books of the Bible. We just finished our series in Acts uh, before then. Uh, we had a number of, of series that we've done in the past. I don't know if you can remember some of those. Um, we've had Mark and Acts most recently, uh, some of our Old Testament series that we've done. Uh, we've done Job. We've done Esther, if you remember um, some of those. Um, we've, we've done series through just about every book in the Bible that you can think of in our years. Uh, and so now we look at Exodus. There's 40 chapters there in Exodus. So it is a, a long book. And let me just give you kind of an outline of Exodus and then share a little bit about why I want to, uh, why we want to preach through Exodus and what we expect to gain from Exodus. Um, the outline of Exodus I'm kind of a simplistic person, so I'll do a two-point outline, then I'll expand the second point a little bit. The two points is God brings Israel out of Egypt, chapters 1 through 19, 1 through 18. God brings Israel out of Egypt. And then 19 through 40 will be God instructs Israel how to live. So you look at those two parts um, that's what Exodus is about. God brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery, into, uh, um, and he's preparing them for the land, and before they go into the land, he instructs them on how to live. Um, in that second part, when he instructs them, he gives them his covenant, the, old t the, um, the excuse me, the Ten Commandments is part of that covenant that he shares with them. Uh, verses, chapters 19 through 31, we see him given the, given the covenant. Chapter 32, um, Israel breaks the covenant. And in chapters 33 and 34, the covenant is renewed. And in 35 through 40, the tabernacle is constructed. And you wonder how that plays into it. When the tabernacle is, is, is constructed, um, it gives them, um, they can now practice what God has taught them to do in getting to know him and walking in obedience to him. But also uh, a big piece of that is in that last chapter, we see God indwells the tabernacle. And so um, he empowers them. He leads them, directs them, and empowers them to live the life that he's called them to live. And so I've said it that way so that you can see the parallel for us today. God brings us out of sin or the slavery of sin. He instructs us so that we can know how we are to live. And he graciously deals with us even when we fall short of, of what he's called us to do. And he... Uh, um, empowers us so that we can live that life that he's called us to live. The name Exodus, uh, that title, 
means, the word exodus means to go out, to exit, to depart. And so it speaks of Israel's departure out of the land of Egypt. In the Hebrew text, the title of this book is Names. That's the, the English interpretation of the Hebrew would be the word names. And it gets that from the first line of the text when it says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. And so it's reviewing a bit of the history um, of, of this nation that God has brought up to, uh, to do his will and to accomplish his purpose. <clears throat> As we get into Exodus, let's do a very quick review of the book before Exodus because it allows us to get a context from, what, uh, from where Exodus is. Um, I do not do a detailed study into the date and the author of that, um, but I can just share with you uh, Exodus is a part of what is called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Um, is not just scholarly uh, advice, but we see the Word of God itself shows us that it is Moses who was the main writer of those first five books, and um, so we can we we can we can see that and we can understand from reading that. Of course, there's some portions in it that we know Moses could not have written. He it speaks of his own death, so he he may not have written the detail there, but he is the primary author of the Pentateuch, including Exodus. When you look at Genesis, um, Genesis is, it covers the greatest amount of history in any book in, in the Bible. Um, the way I like to, to look at Genesis, and the, the simple way I would study or have you study and think of Genesis, is think of the main characters. There are six main characters in Genesis, and they lead us to what's happening in Exodus. So if you think of the six main characters, then we look at some of the main events in Genesis, and you'll see that it just flows. The first main character in Genesis will be Adam. And so we see the creation of mankind. The next main character in Genesis will be Noah. So we go from Adam, we see the creation. In Noah's day, we see sin and how it had corrupted the earth and God judged the earth. Uh, after Noah, we'll see the next main character of Abraham. And so we get to Abraham, we're going to have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we're going to end up with Joseph. So those are the main characters, and that takes you through the entire uh, book of Genesis Preparing us for Exodus. Again, it starts with Adam, into Noah, into Abraham. With Abraham, God had given a promise that he would give, make Abraham the father of many nations, and one particular nation would, 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 uh, Abraham would father over would be the people of God, the special chosen uh, people of God. We see that starting Abraham with Isaac. And Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and one of those sons, the second youngest, is Joseph. And Joseph is the one that was, uh, his brothers were jealous of him, eventually sold him as a slave. He ended up in Egypt. And I want to read for you in Genesis chapter 50, 
verse 15. So you can turn there with me. Genesis 50, verse 15. See, if you're in Exodus 1, the, you're right next to it. The last chapter in Genesis is right there. Genesis 50. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Can I pause there and just bring you up to date? We, we mentioned that Joseph was hated by his brothers, um, and so they sold him into slavery. Joseph ended up in Egypt, and God brought him from a slave to be ruler or second in command over all of Egypt. God did that for a purpose. He did that so he would preserve his people. What happened, there was a famine. We, we saw this in Acts chapter 7, the review there. Um, there was a famine in both Egypt and in Israel, in the land of Canaan where Israel was. Um, and so this brought, um, this brought Israel, or Jacob and his sons, to Egypt to, uh, to, 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 to buy food. They found Joseph in command. They didn't recognize him. The second time they came back to visit to get food, Joseph revealed himself, and his brothers were fearful because of what they had done to him before. So let's go back now to Genesis 50 where we started reading. It says, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. <clears throat> and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when, they, wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So we see how God had set this up and God used um, even the bad treatment of Joseph's brothers to bring Joseph to the place where he would provide um, the food and the saving of his own people. And then what happened is Joseph called his entire family to join him in Egypt. So that reminds me to, to share the key events that we see in Genesis before we get to Exodus. We mentioned creation is a key event. The second key event is the flood. The third key event in Genesis is the promise that God made to Abraham. And then the fourth key and final event in Genesis is Israel or Jacob and his whole family move to Egypt because of the, the famine. So I hope that this helps you uh, just, just summarize what's happening in Genesis. That's a long book. It's 50 chapters. But just looking at the characters and the key event in there, you can see what's happening before we get now 
into Exodus. Now, some of you need to just shake your head. Let me know that you, you're with me, right? You follow me, right? Okay, I'm not doing something crazy here, right? You understand what I'm saying. The words that I speak, you can comprehend, right? Amen. All right. Okay. And so now we find ourselves in Exodus. Let me share with you uh, the emphasis in Exodus. Sometimes I, I wait until we get to the book and let you kind of discover this on your own. But I think the emphasis of Exodus is important. Um, it, is, it is pretty plain, and you're going to see it, and I want you to know it right away so that you can follow what's happening. We don't want to get bogged down in, 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 in the trees of, of Exodus as we go through each chapter and not see the whole forest of what's happening, what is God doing, and why is he doing what he's doing. Okay, so here's the emphasis uh, that Exodus, Exodus has. It is this, that the Lord has remembered his covenant with Israel, and he will bring them out of Egypt, and he will instruct them on how to live as his people as he dwells in their midst. I'll say it again. The Lord has remembered his covenant with Israel. He will bring them out of Egypt, and he will instruct them on how to live as he dwells in their midst. That's the, the focus of emphasis, uh, the emphasis uh, of Exodus. Take you back a little bit. Remember, we read through Acts chapter 7. And I want to review a little bit of that. So I want to look at Genesis chapter 15. Would you turn to Genesis 15 with me? Verse 13 and 14. Genesis 15, verse 13 and 14. God is speaking to Abraham. And he's, he's going to tell Abraham stuff that's going to happen in the future as he shares his promise with Abraham. And I want you to see this. Genesis 15, verse 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is what we call prophecy. This is God saying what's going to happen way before it actually happens and being very specific. God has promised Abraham that he's going to give him offspring. And up to this point, Abraham doesn't have any children. But even before Abraham has any children, God foretells or prophesies, tells ahead of time to Abraham, this is what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to give you a whole family, a whole nation, but this is what's going to happen to them. He says, 
Your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. That's a long time. Amen? (laughs) That's a long time. God tells them what's going to happen, and then he says, but I, excuse me, They will be afflicted for 400 years. Now let's go to verse 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What is God promising? He says, yes, they're going to go through a very rough time, and it's going to be a long time they're going to be there, suffering, 400 years. But he says, I'm going to bring judgment on that nation, and I'm going to bring them out. Not just I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to bring them out with great possessions. I, I like how the word of God, when God gives a prophecy, he's specific so that you have no question when it's answered because it's answered so specifically, you have to say, wow, that's God. God has done that. God is doing this. So he says to Abraham, before he has any children, what's going to happen way in the future. So the emphasis, as I mentioned in Exodus, is that God will not forget his people. 400 years seems like a long time, but he's promising even before it happens that he's going to keep his promise and rescue his people and give them great blessings. Now, what does he mean at at the end of this verse 14, he says, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Obviously, it means he's going to judge Egypt. He doesn't name the nation here, but that's what it means. He's going to judge Egypt. And it says, afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. They're going to be slaves, but they're going to come out of Egypt, and literally they're going to plunder the Egyptians as they come out. Now, you and I, we don't use that term much. Plunder means that you take the stuff of the people that you're at war against so that they have so little you have devastated them. This is what God is going to do to the Egyptians by the hand of Abraham's offspring, Israel. God makes this promise before Abraham ever has a child. Um, Genesis 46, I want to turn to verses 2 through 4. So be patient with me. We're looking a little bit at the history of Genesis so that we can understand what's happening in Exodus. Genesis 46. So I mentioned the key characters in Genesis and the key events. And I want you to see that God has made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. I mean, excuse me, he he made a promise starting with Adam, right? He he, he renewed a promise with Noah. He says, look, I'm going to bring judgment on on the earth because they're so sinful, um, and I'm going to rescue you and your family, and I'm going to reserve you and your family. Then after after the flood, he makes a promise to to Noah that I'll never uh, cause a great flood to destroy the entire earth 
again. And in fact, I'm going to put my rainbow in the sky to remind you of my promise. So God's promise, promises are special, and he wants to remind us of this promise. Now, we, we should follow the promises of God. When he makes that to, to Noah, later on in Genesis, we see Abraham as a key character. He promises Abraham he's going to make a nation out of him. And we went through some of those promises. He renews that promise with Abraham's son, Isaac, and he renews that promises with, promise with Isaac's son, Jacob. He keeps renewing that promise to remind them that he is going to complete his promise. What what does that mean to us today? First of all, God keeps his promise. He doesn't just speak uh, uh, empty words. He keeps his promise. You can trust God to do what he says. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind, of a, kind of a skeptic. You know, uh, you, you know, you get on the Internet and you buy different products, right? And they tell you that they got a guarantee, right? And they, they'll tell you you don't have to worry. You can ship your money there. Uh, nothing's going to happen. You're going to get your product, and you're going to be satisfied with it. You always think, well, what if I'm not satisfied with it? And so, well, you know, you can, you can just return it and, and, and get your, your, your money back. You're kind of skeptical. I just had an experience where I actually bought a car in another state. And that was, that was a little sketchy for me, that I would go somewhere else and buy a car. And I didn't want to have it shipped back here. And so I was wondering, hey, is this going to be all right? So I kind of had to research the people that I'm getting it from. And when you research, you find out, hey, they've been in business for X amount of years. That gives you a little comfort. But you're always wondering, the guarantee that they give you <laughs> is only worth you know, they got to be around, right? So if they go out of business two days after they sold you this product, I mean, you, you might think you got some recourse, but the fact of the matter is they got nothing to give you to make right whatever it is they need to make right. And so people make and boast of great promises, but if they ain't around to guarantee it, what good is their guarantee, right? God is always around. He never fails. He never dies. And so he is the one and only one that can actually give you a promise that he can keep. Because he's eternal and because he's all-powerful, he can say and he can actually do what he says. In other words, he said, look, I'm going to be around tomorrow. You got to worry about me. I'm going to be around tomorrow's tomorrow. And I, whatever I promise you, you can come back to me and you know that, listen, I have the power and the ability to keep my promise. And so he keeps his promise with Abraham and he renews that with Abraham's son Isaac and then again with Jacob. Now we come to Jacob and we're in Genesis chapter 46, verse 2 through 4. Um. You know, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So in verse 1, it says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, you notice that's a a common term in Genesis. God referred to himself to, to one as, I'm the God of your father and of his father. He says to Jacob, I'm the God of your father, Isaac, and the God of father, Abraham. I'm the God of Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He, he, he makes it clear. In other words, I've been around a long time, and I'm keeping all my promises. And then it says this in verse 2. 
God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. (laughs) Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. He's he's renewing the promise that he made to, 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 uh, to Jacob's dad, Isaac, and to Jacob's granddad, Abraham. He says, I myself, verse 4, will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Joseph was his son. It was his precious son, the son that he had made a favorite coat for, the son that he thought was dead when, um, when, his, when his brothers um, had sold him into slavery. God says to Jacob, go ahead. Go down into Israel. I'm going to go with you there, and I'm going to bring you back up again. Now, of course, Jacob would die there in Egypt. So God was saying, Jacob, yes, I'm going to literally bring your bones back up, but I'm going to bring your people up as well. So Exodus is about God fulfilling his promise to be with his people and deliver his people. Now, sometimes we get confused with the Bible and we see, um, we see the, the, the history, we see the, the current events of our day, and we wonder what to think about Israel right now. And we need to know this, that God had chosen a special people, and that is, in fact, Israel, but he chose them for a purpose, He chose them for a purpose because he was going to bring his salvation from this group of people. In other words, it is through Israel that he's going to fulfill his promise to bless all of the earth. If you look with me in Genesis chapter 12, you'll see that's what God promised Abraham. Through you, I will bless all the families of the world. He literally has done that because Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham. And it's through Jesus that God promises to bless all who trust in him to give them eternal life, to give them forgiveness of sins, to reconcile them back to God. It's through Jesus that God does all of this. And so God keeps his promise. Israel as a nation is simply the tool that God uses to bring his Savior into the world. And now we today, as believers, as the church, are the special people of God because we're the whole purpose that God had in mind when he would bring his son. In other words, those who would trust in his son Jesus are now connected to God in this special way. And so we, we see this uh, fulfilled. Now, um, other thing I want us to see is turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I want you to see another emphasis, a part of this emphasis in Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. And part of verse 8. Now in the text of Exodus, 
Um, we see the life of Moses. He's born, and God has called him to be a leader. And now God is appearing to him in what we call uh, the burning bush scene. And this is what God speaks to, to Moses and says, verse 7, Then the Lord said to him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I'm going to pause right there. God is speaking to Moses, and he's saying, my people have suffered for over 400 years. I identify with them in their suffering. I have not forgotten them. I remember my people, and I will deliver them. Again, 400 years seems like a long time, and it is a long time. But God is saying, I have forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I will accomplish what I said I will accomplish. I will keep my promise to my people. Remember what he said to, to Abraham before Abraham any, had any children. He says, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to send your people to a, to a strange land they're going to become slaves there, and I'm going to deliver them once they're there. In that same chapter, chapter of Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 19, and it says there, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. God has told Moses, I'm going to send you to be the deliverer, and I'm going to send you to, to, to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he's going to refuse to let you go. And here is the other emphasis we see in Exodus. That God delivers his people by a mighty hand. By a mighty hand. God has set this all up so Pharaoh will be stubborn. He, he would not uh, uh, let God's people go as, as Moses had asked him to do. But God was going to deliver them by a mighty hand. Let me just show you a few verses in Exodus. Chapter 7, verse 4. So you're going to bounce around with me a little bit, but we'll go quickly. Chapter 7, verse 4, it says this. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people of the, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Chapter 9, verse 3. I want to read that. It says there, <clears throat> Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flock. Notice, it's the hand of the Lord that does this. In chapter 13, verse 3, chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. To, um, 
So the emphasis there, a strong hand. Again, in verse 9 of chapter 13, same chapter, verse 9. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Same chapter, verse 16, it says, It shall be as a mark on your hand and frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Chapter 15, verse 6, this is Moses' song and what it says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemies. Chapter 15, same chapter, verse 12, it says this. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. <laughs> so we see it's God's hand. And then in chapter 32, uh, verse 11, Moses was interceding before God for the people. It says, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? God wants us to know it is by his power he delivers his people. By his power. It's not our power that, that saves us. It's not our great faith even that saves us. It's God's mighty hand. It's a little bitty teeny bit of faith in a great God that delivers us and that saves us. It's his mighty hand. So the theme of Exodus is God fulfills his promise to the patriarchs that line from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make them descendants, to make their descendants a great nation. God, God fulfills this promise. And he does this despite the opposition of the greatest superpower in the ancient world. Egypt was the greatest superpower. God is going to bring his people out despite the power and the opposition of that great nation. Of Egypt, and despite the unbelief and dis disobedience of his people. Here's what I want you to see. Let's look at some practical applications. God is showing that it is his power that brings about his purpose. He made a promise, and he fulfills it by his power in spite of the circumstances that are around us. This ought to highlight a couple things. It, it first of all ought to highlight the power of God and the character of God. He is one who keeps his word. He is one that acts with great power. It highlights something else that we need to see, and that is the faithfulness of Moses. Moses is the leader that God has used. God can, can, can deliver by any means he chooses, but he chose to deliver by a man who's called the meekest in all the earth. Moses, and it's Moses' obedience that um, allows him to uh, be used. It's his faithfulness that allows him to be used of God, and that should encourage us in how we ought to be. Now, I, I want to mention some practical applications and mention this over and over, but the, the practical application in our life is stunning. God keeps his promise to us. 
God is with us even in our affliction. He remembers his people in their affliction. God is with us in our affliction. He knows what we're, we're going through. In fact, he foretold what the Egyptians would do to Israel, his own people. And he says, I'm going to deliver them from that. Sometimes, you know, we, we pray, Lord, help me to have a good day. What we mean is, I don't want nothing bad ever to happen to me. But that's not how God works. In fact, God intentionally doesn't work that way because he wants to display his power in your life. And so for God to show that he's the God that gives life, sometimes things got to die. Sometimes there has to be death that occurs so that he can bring back to life. God will work in an atmosphere of, of suffering. In fact, he will, in fact, create that atmosphere, if you will, so that he can redeem his people out of it so they can see it is him, it is God who, de- who delivers. It is God who brings us out. Though we may suffer long, God does not forget or abandon his people. God uses our affliction for a couple of things. To direct our hearts to him. To direct our hearts to him. Um, If our way was smooth and easy, I mean, I, I know what we say. We say, well, God, if you just, you know, give me everything I'm asking for, I'll serve you. But that's not often how things happen. I've seen so many people who say, Lord, if you just deliver me from this, I'll serve you the rest of my days. And I don't see them anymore. They should be a part of this church. They're not here anymore. They're not serving anymore. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, even though God delivered them. The fact is, we often forget God when things are going smooth. And we blame God when things are not. And in reality, we ought to see God for who he is. He's the one that allows his people, because of, 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 of the sinful impact of the world today, he allows that sin to have his impact, but he comes in and rescues his people in that so that he might be proclaimed, so that he might be esteemed, so that we might lift and direct our hearts to him. He wants to show himself strong in our lives. You have a situation that's going on in your life that you need God to show himself strong. You can look to where God, what God has done in the past and you can see that he is faithful to his word. God delivers us for a purpose. And this is shown in Exodus as well. As I mentioned the first 18 chapters show God delivering his people. And then 19 through the end of the, chap- end of the book shows that he directs them how to live according to his purpose. God delivers us for a purpose, and that is that we might walk in his ways. He gives us instruction, and he actually empowers us and indwells or lives with us so that we can do just that. God empowers us to live in obedience to him. So we pray that Exodus might be a book that reminds us of God's power, reminds us of God's purpose, reminds us of God's promise, his steadfastness to keep his promise, his grace to 
to, to deliver us and um, might remind us to give him the glory when we see um, what he's done in the past and when we trust and see what he's doing in our lives today. Let's bow in prayer. We thank you, Father, for your, your great promise. We thank you, Father, for the fulfillment of that promise through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, today. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see and cause us to reflect and worship and praise you for what you do, for what you've done, and what you will do for your people. I pray that we'll turn our hearts to you, Lord, that we'll surrender ourselves to you. We bow down before you and acknowledge your hand in our lives and be thankful. So bring us to that humble spirit and that willingness to uh, see what you're doing and to reflect on it and cause us to commit ourselves to you, to, to draw close to you, to appreciate you and to worship you for who you are. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole picture in Exodus is a picture that points towards him. Moses is a picture of him as the deliverer of your people. The Passover, the worship that they give as you deliver them, is a picture of Jesus, who is our one and only Savior. Help us to recognize that and to trust in Christ and live for him and worship him. We pray this now in Jesus' name.